from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, April 19th, 2018. This is episode 51, Planet Netflix. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host as always, and I'm joined this week by Megan Maroney, host of Tech News Weekly and iOS Today over on the Twit Network. Hi, Megan. Hello, Jason. I feel like if I shout loud enough, I can, you can hear me all the way in Marin. Yeah, that's right. Just you're, to- just, you're just the next county over. Should, that totally could work, but our microphones will be horribly blown out if you do that. So mm-hmm. Okay, we'll, I won't. We'll keep it to normal volumes instead. It just should be neighborly. Uh, something like that. Also here, Shahid Kamal Ahmad, video game developer and host of Remaster here on the Relay FM network. Shahid, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's good to have you here. It's great to be back. And it's also good to have Stephen Hackett here, who put the show together this week while I was uh, fighting with my uh, internet, which still isn't working. So I'm using uh, cellular, a little behind the scenes there. Hi, Stephen. I don't think I can yell loud enough for you to hear me from Tennessee. That's a long way. It is a very long way. Don't do it either because your neighbors are going to complain if you do that. Um, It's true. Well, we're here to talk about the most interesting stories of the week as chosen by Stephen and by me. And we might as well get down to it. Topic number one. This is the one that kind of blew my mind this week. The Chinese technology company ZTE, or if you're in the UK, as Shahid is, ZTE. I suppose, (laughs) has been banned from using U.S. exports in its smartphones and other devices by the U.S. Department of Commerce. This is, you know, there are a lot of things going on in the world, including uh, the the government in the U.S. and government in the U.S.'s relationship with China and other countries. And then this happens. The Commerce Department says the ZTE failed to uphold an agreement put in place after it pleaded guilty to illegally shipping U.S. equipment to Iran and North Korea to countries where that is not that's not allowed uh, they were supposed to deny bonuses to the employees who had acted illegally guess what they paid them <laughs> <laughs> that's the opposite of what you're supposed to it's do it's not no uh this ban though is brutal because it means zt can no longer purchase components from american manufacturers like oh qualcomm and intel who supply like processors and radios and everything for its products and potentially the android license too or at least for the google services portion of android that's not open source uh, it's currently listed as a certified android oem it may have to use the uncertified versions like some other chinese companies and get its processors from another source uh its primary biz- business is network infrastructure for cellular carriers too this is um you know we 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 don't often think in our in our uh, our line of work about american technology being a crucial portion of these sorts of devices but uh in this case it seems like you know zte can't do its business or at least do it very well without stuff from america um I, leaving i mean if, if anyone would like to talk about geopolitics you may go right ahead or you can just focus in on this one particular story but uh shahid what do you think about this this is there's i know there's a lot of fronts there's a lot of moving parts to this story but it's it's kind of fascinating yeah i, I just gotta say why is why you didn't have to do this you know I mean, the the countries that are on the restricted list, and, you know, I worked at large technology companies who shall remain nameless, who have had to honour these agreements. If certain pieces of hardware get into the hands of countries that are considered hostile to the US, then naturally it's possible for those countries who are considered hostile to be able to use a technology 
against the company, uh, against the country with whom they're having bad political dealings. So it makes total sense for the US and its lawmakers to uphold these extremely serious agreements. You know, wars can result as a result of this, especially when you mix technology with politics. And it's not like the countries that are on that list represent a huge proportion of their trade value for for ZTE or for or for any company actually that has to sell those devices. I mean, look, you just lost your biggest customer. You just lost the US. You know yeah. <laughs> why? Why? This is what I don't understand. So it's not good for trade. It's not good for diplomatic relations. It's not good for a whole bunch of other companies as well. You know, it's not good for Google because it's bad for Android. It's not good for Qualcomm, who will not be able to sell these devices into the US. It's just bad for everybody. And the upside was so small. And the other thing, of course, as you rightly mentioned, Jason, is, well, look at the impunity and brazenness with which the company was behaving, rewarding its employees at a time when it should have been censuring them. So I just find the whole episode entirely bizarre. And I just wonder why they they would have done it. That was my big question, too. Why? Um, and, you know, in, in addition to all the people that you mentioned suffering, it's also not good for people in the U.S. Uh, who are going to depend on Android Go. That, so ZTE um, was Android Go's U.S. launch partner. So that is like their low cost phones that had one gig of RAM or less. So that was something that, you know, a lot of people like, could have depended on um, would have been good for uh, people in low income areas in the United States and that it's unfortunate for them as well. Yeah, I believe also this week, um, the UK, your 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 land had uh, declared ZTE because that's what they would have said, a uh, national security risk. Uh, uh, sitting, you know, it, which, you know, some of this is geopolitics, right? It's, it's, it's the same reason the Qualcomm purchase was rejected in the U.S. Uh, by Broadcom, mm-hmm. who is from Singapore and an ally of the U.S. and is moving their headquarters to the U.S. But they, they felt like they wanted uh, a U.S. company to control part of like the future of network infrastructure. So there's that stuff's going on. But I think you, I think you both raised this question and I have not seen a good answer, which is, you know, why did they do the sales? Which is one of those things where I've been in companies where there's a salesperson who's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to just, I know what the rules are, but I can, I can make a sale over here. So I'm going to do that anyway. I get that. But then step two, right? Like they get caught. They get sanctioned. They are told not to give rewards to the people who made these decisions, and they give rewards to them. It's uh, I, I mean, I I understand the argument that um, you know, people are like, oh well, this is actually just part of the, the saber rattling by the U.S. in order to disrupt its trade with China, and it's part of the new administration. But at the same time, like, why have a sanctions regime of any kind against anyone if when you break it? And are found out and are punished, you can just ignore the punishment and continue to sell and have access to the country that whose laws you just broke. I, I mean, I, at some point, you do have to say, you can't do this. This is a harsh penalty. But, um, you know, maybe ZTE just didn't think that it was going to matter and that didn't didn't think that the death penalty, which is kind of what this is in the U.S. market, was going to happen. Well, you know, when, when countries are are at peace with each other. It makes the the reason you're at peace, right, is because it makes trade a lot easier. And if you make trade a lot easier, everybody prospers. 
So even if there is a political motive behind this, if we're speculating, let's say that there is some kind of uh, government involvement in this, as well there might be with a lot of companies in China, what could they hope to gain long term by doing this? There must be easier ways. There must be other ways of getting the information that they want or the technology that they want, apart from engineering themselves. Everybody benefits through trade. So I see absolutely no benefit, even from a security angle for China, for this to happen. I mean, I don't understand. I'm not an expert on China. Like I, I doing research into this story, I just thought, well, you know, I think they. This is a lot of. This is often how China acts within their own uh, country. You know, they're they're um, a, a capitalist society, not a democracy. It's not something that uh, that is easy for Americans to understand. I think, but I mean, my 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 question is, I, I think it's okay that I don't really understand, but I also worry a little bit that. I feel like our administration doesn't also seem to understand the relationship as well as they should. And and that's what worries me. Uh, There's a story in Quartz that I read that was interesting about how um, it will be hard for ZTE if this all happens to source its parts because they will need to find a replacement for Qualcomm, especially, but also Broadcom and and a bunch of other radio parts. And uh, there are some options. There's a Taiwanese company, but of course, that is a fraught relationship between China and and, uh, Taiwan, uh, which is uh, part of China and not part of China at the same time, uh, which is, yes, that's internal Chinese politics and the relationship between those two places. Super complicated. Uh, The Chinese government wants to have a local uh, uh, component supplier for those kind of parts, but you know they don't seem to right now. So, so this goes back to the point about how we're all interrelated. Like the smartphone world and the technology world in general is built with software and hardware from all over the world, and so when you start putting up barriers, it it, it has pretty severe effects. At the same time, you know I, I think I, uh, this is. Yeah, again, I'm fascinated. I would love to know the inside story, which we probably never will because it's China and uh, this ZTE is is owned in large part by a uh, state-owned company. So it's, you know, it's an independent company that's publicly traded, but it's also got a huge portion of it that's run by the, is owned ultimately by the state. And so we may never know, but like, it seems so strange, the, the jeopardy uh, that you put your company in. Um, by, as Shahid pointed out, uh, trying to make some sales to relatively small markets when you've got the entire interconnected global <laughs> technology industry uh, mm. uh, driving your products. And I love that you brought up this story because I think ZTE or ZTE mm-hmm. uh, is is I, I mean we don't talk about it that much. It's not it's sexy, and um, I'm not just saying like it's not an iPhone, but I mean you don't hear Android people talking about it that much. And it's the fourth 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 largest smartphone seller in the United States. I read I think from uh, Ron Amadio and Ars Technica wrote this, and it's just I mean that that was a little bit shocking to me. But it, we just don't really as tech journalists spent a lot we don't spend a lot of time talking about these like good enough phones that cost four hundred dollars. There's just not much to say about them. So it's it's interesting that they that they would have such a large effect globally um, when when they do something like this. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, 
uh, you know, the, we American companies are, inc- including Apple, falling over themselves to have access to the Chinese market because it's so huge and the potential there for, I think Tim Cook, uh, Apple CEO, said at one point, the a middle class the size of the entire U.S. population. Like, it is a huge market for technology products, potentially. But it does go the other way, where there are a lot of Chinese companies that really want to take on the world who've had success in China and, want, and are ambitious and want to spread their products outside of China, which is a challenge because they know their home market maybe a lot a lot better in many cases from the rest of the world, and so that that's a complication here too. Or maybe this there was some ambition at ZTE and some pressure put on them to 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 do this sort of thing. I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird story, and we'll see how it goes. But it is uh, if if everything holds as it is now, a pretty crushing blow for that company, which, as Megan pointed out, is actually a pretty major uh, player even in the U.S. in terms of supplying handsets. So, I think it's something we're going to see more of, though, right? As this rhetoric from the U.S. and from China and other countries continues to grow stronger and louder, you know, tariffs and all this other stuff, like, I kind of feel like this is the first or second domino and and what may end up being a whole string of these things. Like I think this topic is not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. And will this be perceived as just a, I think that's a big question. Will this be perceived as, um, as ZT getting caught on, on, you know, breaking the rules or will this just be seen as another move in a, uh, a whole bunch of trade war rhetoric and action and uh that's a question right because this seems like an extreme case but it could also simply be interpreted by the chinese government as another protectionist move on the part of uh of the u.s government i i don't know how it'll be i don't think so jason i mean the 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 security clause is really widely known and widely understood by pretty much every major technology player and as you say they are also connected so they do know about it. It's not like they think it's some <laughs> arbitrary measure. They're all aware of it, and most of them adhere to it, because without it, they will destroy their business. You know, if they don't honor this extremely important agreement, they'll destroy their business. It's just a price of trade. Yeah, so what happens to ZTE now? It's a good It's a good question, because they ignored it, and then they ignored the punishment. That's the thing that really gets me, is they, they ignored it, got caught, got punished, and then ignored the punishment. That <laughs> Right. Almost laughing at it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but it still that won't necessarily stop governments from using it as as another point in their uh, arguments back and forth. Um, I'm reminded of the fact that um, when Russian diplomats were expelled after the uh, the nerve gas attack on the former Russian spy in the UK, Russia responded by um, expelling diplomats from the countries that had expelled its diplomats and it's like well wait a second guys no 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 you were getting punished for doing something bad but once the wheel starts turning sometimes it just keeps turning even if uh even if this looks very clearly like uh uh, some terrible moves on zt's part it doesn't mean that china won't use it as a as a uh, an excuse or a reason to retaliate um, much more to talk about. Lots of stuff going on this week. Let's take a break, though. Let me tell you about our first sponsor. This episode is brought to you in part by Pingdom. Pingdom is the company that offers uptime monitoring and web performance management. You are actually more uh, f- more familiar with Pingdom than you might think, even if you haven't heard of them, because the favorite sites you have on the internet are probably being kept online 
by Pingdom, Evernote, BuzzFeed, Netflix. If you used any of these sites recently and not run into any trouble, it's hard to like say, well, look, it's working. That that you, do you notice when something's working? No, you probably don't. But Pingdom notices when something's not working, and that's how Pingdom works. Websites are pretty sophisticated now. They have so many different moving parts, contact forms, e- e-commerce checkout pages, logins, search engines all sorts of other things. It's not just does the page load, it's does my sign-up form work. Pingdom checks the availability of all of these functions. Um, they're not just about getting a message when your whole site goes down, but when the parts stop working properly, which is one of the very clever things about Pingdom, because your site may look like it's working fine and you aren't collecting any uh, any uh, sign-ups for your newsletter because that part broke. All Pingdom needs to do to get started is the URL of your site. They start there and take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now. You'll get a 14-day free trial. You won't need to give a credit card or anything like that. And when you sign up, use the code download at checkout. You'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you, Pingdom, for keeping all of our favorite websites online and supporting download. All right, we're going on into more uh, geopolitics. The technology industry cannot hide. We're not just going to sit in our uh, in our rooms playing with our computers. We have to talk about serious stuff like what happened in Russia this week, where Russia blocked or tried very hard to block access to Telegram, the encrypted chat service, end-to-end encryption, very popular service, popular with people in the Russian government, by the way, to communicate with people. It's not just popular among spies and dissidents. Um, Telegram is used heavily by the the opposition to the Russian government, though, and that may be the catch. Telegram refused to put its servers uh, in the hands of the Russian government, basically let the Russian government look at encrypted messages. They were given 24 hours notice uh, to, that they were going to be banned. Um, they didn't attend the hearing out of protest, the founder of uh, Telegram, who actually is Russian and left Russia in 2014, said privacy is not for sale. Human rights should not be compromised out of fear or greed. So in an attempt to block the service, Russia's Federal Service for Supervision of Communications, Information Technology and Mass Media, I'm sure that has a great acronym in Russian, blocked a (laughs) wide range of IP addresses. Because Telegram moved its services to the clouds run by Google and Amazon, it took down a whole bunch of other services that were also on Google and Amazon. So uh, there's a lot in this story too about the uh, about when you. I was talking to somebody I know who's Russian, and I said, "So why are you on Slack today?" And he said, "Oh, well, I'm using my VPN because Slack is down in Russia because just as collateral damage from Telegram." Um, so let's start with the Telegram part of this, which is the fear. Obviously, the fear that powerful people and governments have toward letting people communicate without being spied on. That's clearly what's at work here. We've seen it in other places, too, um, including in more liberal Western governments in terms of being concerned that people can talk and you can't and they can't listen if they want to. So, um, Megan, what do you think about the Telegram side of this? Like the idea of of uh, of refusing to be a, a party and listening into their customers conversations? 
Well, it's pretty similar to, you know, what uh, what Facebook has dealt with with WhatsApp, because they've also had, you know, I think that's what you were referring to in Western governments. They've had people, uh, you know, say, you know, turn this over or we're going to block you. And I think it's very different having Facebook have to uh, defend against this versus Telegram, because Telegram is just this little upstart. And, you know, they're getting a lot of press. I'm certain there's a lot of people who, you know, saw this story and thought, well, what's Telegram? I don't know for sure. But I'm, my question is is, is it the same as with, with WhatsApp where like they don't actually have the encrypted information to turn over to Russia? Like it's not even that they're refusing. I believe it is end to end encrypted. So it's that one of those funny things where it's like we're demanding that you do this and they're saying like it's we won't and we can't anyway, which is just like a, you know, it's one of those weird things with uh, whether the the, peop- the people saying, you know, wanting to. Uh, block Telegram or even really understand how it works. Um, I also think they were like pretty ham fisted about it, which is scary. Um, just, you know, instead of just, you know, blocking a single IP addresses, they just went in, you know, and just said, just went blocked everything. So, you know, people couldn't get their Twitch. They couldn't get all kinds of things and, uh, Amazon and Google. And so, yeah, I think it's, um, it's scary. Um, and I think if, if they succeed in blocking it and they sort of have, it, it's, it's not a good precedent for the future. And to be clear, the way Telegram works and the way a lot of these end to end encryption systems work, yes, Telegram doesn't have the key. Telegram only allows people to pass the, the encrypted messages. And this is what Telegram said to the Russian government, which it said to other governments before too, I believe, which is, you know, what you're really asking is for us to re engineer our entire system so that it's insecure, so that you can read the messages and we can't and won't do that and what the government in russia said basically is well fine then we will shut you down because we're not allowing any kind of truly end-to-end encrypted material in our country shahid what do you think about this this uh you know preventing people from communicating privately well this is very similar in a lot of respects to the ZTE story. <laughs> I RSMC. know, right? <laughs> it's the spirit of the okay, age. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it feels okay. I, I, yeah, I, I could do Z. I could do Z. No, Z, you said us. You got to Z it to us. That's why we got. We have you the pleasant, pleasant British tones. I like. A, I like a, a, the occasional Z. Thank you. Thank you. Sounds like a, a radio station in Russia. So with um, <laughs> with Telegram, you've got what 180 million users. So one of the things that that has happened in the past is when Amazon or Google, but particularly Amazon, have been hosting a service for a smaller company and the smaller company has tried to stand up for itself. What happens is that if Amazon gets blocked somewhere, that's not good for anybody else on Amazon. It's like, you know, like when when you're in class and what a bad teacher will do if one one child it can't catch does something naughty is it will hold the entire class to account until the person who committed the alleged defense owns up right they'll all get detention so that's the kind of approach that amazon are forced to take they're saying look all of the kids in our class are being held to account here so you've got to own up in other words provide what is being asked so that everybody else can be fine okay so that's fine when the kid is very small. But when you're talking about 
a company like Telegram that has 180 million users, not so easy because there are two things at stake. The first is obviously the size of the customer. And the second is the size of the PR impact if they do accede to the request. It's in some ways quite similar to what happened with Apple and the FBI, right? That's right. Apple were asked effectively to provide a backdoor and they refused to do that. And it will be very interesting in this case to see if Russia get to um, force Telegram to provide a backdoor to their services. And I, I just don't I just don't think that's going to happen. No, I mean, I don't see how Telegram can survive. This is what Telegram is, is end-to-end encryption. That's what it is. It doesn't have a service if it doesn't provide that. Yeah, it's, it's not a Telegram if you can't end-to-end encrypt it, right? I mean, using the old metaphor. So... I would be really, really surprised if Amazon exerted pressure on Telegram to provide some kind of backdoor. They're, they're too large a service to bully. But it does does beg the question, if they do manage to get Telegram to back down in some way, or Telegram continues to be blocked, or Am- Amazon continues to be blocked, which is a bigger deal, and Google continues to be blocked, apparently thousands and thousands of IPs are being blocked in, in Russia – well, two things are going to happen. First, people are just going to use VPN to get around it. Yep. And the second thing is, these tools are really cool. Even people in Russia like using these tools. Mm-hmm. As you say, even people in government like using these tools. These approaches, these heavy-handed approaches, aren't sustainable. And we look at some of the countries in the world that adopt these approaches. I think it's just a matter of time before people really start to appreciate everywhere that technology now only works if it has a freedom to flow like water like blood as soon as it stops it's over you know you affect everybody everybody gets affected and so i think at some point russia has got to start behaving itself it's it's kind of weird because you know you do have actual laws that will allow you not to use such a heavy-handed approach you have to go through the proper procedures in in the u.s you have to obtain a warrant um do you? Then you yeah. do have the Patriot Act, of course, and Patriot Act 2, which kind of gives certain agencies more sweeping powers. But nevertheless, you do need to get some kind of warrant to be able to access confidential information. In such situations, large companies will comply. But this is what governments don't like. Governments don't like that math has been invented <laughs> that uh, prevents the uh you know prevents wiretapping they don't like cryptography which is why you end up having governments and and you know we've been we're talking about russia but people in the u.s government have talked about this a lot which is surely that what they say is surely the technology wizards can come up with a, a golden key a magical backdoor that only the responsible people in the government will have after they get a search warrant and all of these things and the the answer is first off as we all know in the technology world a backdoor is a backdoor anyone can go through it. It's not going to stay in the hands of the responsible entities. It will be as soon as it gets out, everybody's got it, everybody's insecure. But on top of that, the way, you know, surely they can invent one because they're geniuses. Like, that's not how cryptography works. The way the cryptography has been set up is after there, there's a key exchange and you walk away and there there's nobody in the middle you know that you can wiretap you have you just can't do it that way so that's they don't like that they but it's a fact of sort of it's almost like a law of physics in the sense that it's a law of mathematics that this is a system that has been built and it doesn't allow that little crack for the 
government uh, to get into, whether they're law enforcement or whether they're spying on their own people. Um, and 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 this is this is going to be a huge thing because a lot of you know I think the genie's out of the bottle, right? Like the math of doing encryption. If if all encryption is banned, people are the, the encryption doesn't disappear. If if uh, encryption is banned, it just goes underground because it's not going to disappear. Everybody knows how to do it now. So you know when was the last time that we all learned how to do something and then just everybody agreed, nope, that's technology we'll never ever ever use again for any purposes. There will always be somebody who uses it. So th- this is the challenge of of all sorts of governments who want to spy or you know for good or bad reasons, whatever the reasons. Um, I will also point out there people uh, as a demonstration through paper airplanes in front of the FSB, the uh, the spy agency, uh, the K- former KGB in uh, in Moscow, uh, Telegram's logo being a paper airplane, and I thought that was a very colorful way to protest this but it's pretty great but it's a popular service i mean this is not this is this is the thing this is not some weird kind of dark web scary ooh you know we need to protect you kind of thing this is like hey everybody we're going to shut down this thing that you like because we can't look at your messages when we want to yeah i mean i think they blocked 13 million users i don't know if what the total is but that's what they were able to block which is huge yeah and they've been in, tr- I mean, they've been sort of, they were in trouble recently for maybe a reason they shouldn't have been in trouble with, you know, just that there was pornography on there or something where it was like, again, people didn't really fully understand how Telegram worked. But they, um, yeah, I think that they, people are a little bit suspicious of them, not just from, you know, oh, terrorists use it, but it's just, it's something people don't really understand. But it is the way many people just communicate with one another for basic stuff on a daily basis. I should back up, by the way, and say that Pavel Durov, who is the founder of Telegram, uh, also was the founder of VK, which is basically the Russian Facebook. And he was kicked out of VK. uh, And what he says is that basically they brought in Putin's people to run it because he refused to, guess what, give away all the information about their users. So this is not, there's a lot going on here and this is not a new story for him. And I, you know, I like the fact that his next move after having that was to build a product built on uh, strong encryption where uh, he couldn't give away the, the user data even if he wanted to. Plus, Telegram has really great stickers. <laughs> there you go. It's the truest <laughs> sign in the tech industry. Um, all right. So we are, we have more to talk about. But I want to tell you about one of our sponsors this week. And this I mentioned earlier that, the, you know, one of the companies that had some issues in Russia this week was Slack because uh, they are on cloud servers that Telegram moved their servers to. But um, I did I, I, I communicate with people on Slack, including people in Russia, all the time. It's a great collaboration hub. It lets you organize uh, teamwork puts it in easy searchable channels you can use it for projects uh, com- uh, special interests teams or for your office i don't have an office i work in my garage and yet slack is my office and i get to hang out and talk to people and get work done in slack you can keep all the right people in the loop the relevant information is always in one place it's easy to get new team members up to speed slack's very easy to use and super friendly helps you dramatically reduce the number of emails you need to send that is true my reliance on email has gone way down i'm very happy about that since i started using slack and it helps streamline your team's communication with slack your team can make use of real-time messaging video and voice calls group file sharing searchable archives and it's all inside the easy to use slack app 
which works on basically all platforms as well. I've got it on my phone. I've got it on my Mac. You can use drag and drop file sharing. It works with apps you already use like Google Drive, Salesforce, or Zendesk. And it works wherever you do the iOS and Android apps sync seamlessly. Um, so here's what you do to learn more about Slack. Go to slack.com. That's S-L-A-C-K dot com. Uh, there's no Zeds in there. That's good news. Thanks to Slack for supporting Relay FM and for giving all of us at Relay FM an easy way to communicate. We use the Relay FM Slack all the time. We use it to plan this show, even. How about that? Slack, where work happens. Very nice for everything, including all those pictures that I, one of my Slack groups, we posted pictures of our refrigerators yesterday. I don't know why it ended up happening. It got out of control, but I know a lot about what my friends keep in their refrigerators now, thanks to Slack. Uh, Here's a story that you may have missed, something that might have flown under your radar, but is worth mentioning. SpaceX. Oh, Stephen, it's a space story. What a shock that you and I put a space story in here. SpaceX has put NASA's transiting exoplanet survey satellite on a path to its orbit. The spacecraft... Okay, I I made fun of acronyms earlier. Here we are again, because it's space. It's TESS transiting exoplanet survey satellite just call it tess it's designed to search the skies for exoplanets those are planets orbiting other stars it's basically the follow-on to nasa's kepler spacecraft which is basically done now after discovering 2600 exoplanets tess will focus on stars between 30 and 300 light years away which is closer than the range that kepler was focused on so it should find exoplanets near us and it's looking across the whole sky which means it's going to find them in all the directions too The mission is expected to last about two years and greatly increase the number of known exoplanets. It should be an explosion. The launch was SpaceX's eighth for the year. Before 2017, this was the uh, record number that they'd ever flown in a single year. Now they're flying one every other week. It's kind of amazing. And it's the 24th time that they've landed the first stage of the rocket back on the ground slash on the drone ship. The exoplanet program has just seen such results with Kepler and with other missions. This was a a field that was relatively unknown 10 or 15 years oh, yeah. ago. And and now, I mean, I don't know how many times we've talked about it in liftoff where NASA says, oh, you know, we're, we're adding 400 exoplanets to the catalog that, you know, we have verified. And uh, it's really clever. So the way tests will work is it looks at the light from those other stars and It'll measure little dips in that light. And once they see, you know, capture that several times, they can measure it and say, okay, this dip is caused by a planet that is orbiting that star. So sometimes it's in front of and between the star and us, and sometimes it's not. It's why the light gets brighter and then dips. And uh, that's how they, they, they look for these things. And they can measure it and they can, they can say a lot about the planet based on that dip. They could say, you know, relative size, maybe how close it is to the star, maybe even some of its components, the way the light bends or is refracted. Through the, if there's an atmosphere present, they can see lots of stuff uh, all from these little transits. That's what that's what Tess will be doing. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, when Tess was uh, first beginning the planning stages, they had found like nine exoplanets. Um, and now it's thousands of them. So it's 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 a very fast-moving area of science and uh, pretty exciting. So there'll be a bunch of news mm-hmm. stories about this uh, starting in about three months, I think, when it starts doing its observations. So you'll have to wait, wait three, six, nine months, something like that, and uh, the news will start pouring in from tests. Listen to Liftoff, uh, our space podcast, if you want to hear more about that stuff. Anyway, let's move on. Topic number three, streaming, 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 streaming. 
So many streaming services, so little time. Disney has launched ESPN Plus, a sort of supplemental streaming service for about $5 a month or $50 a year. Um, in comparison, I think the rumor is that it gets about seven eighty six a month per cable subscriber. So, you know, it's not quite the same. But of course, ESPN Plus is not even the contents of ESPN. It's like extra stuff like rugby and... Uh, second, you know, second division British soccer and things like that, that are not going to be on TV in America. Um, and ESPN says that's why it won't replace the traditional cable bundle, uh, even though ESPN has lost uh, 13 million subscribers in the last six years with 87 million current cable subscribers. Uh, it's a collection of, let's say, 10,000 live sports events, plus some extra shows and stuff for super fans who just can't get enough of sports. But I think what's interesting about this is, one, this is Disney, and it's a it, it's a, a toe in the water in terms of taking their sports offerings and making them available for streaming. And, uh, and two, so many subscription services are out there, and there are more coming. Um, so I wanted to ask both, I wanted to ask all of us, actually, first question is do you subscribe to video streaming services and which ones and i want to start with shahid because i don't even know what services are available in the uk but what do you subscribe to i subscribe to uh netflix obviously like the rest of the planet netflix the planet swallower (laughs) netflix uh, that will be one of the exoplanets that Tess discovers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's the obvious one. Um, I also subscribe to Amazon Prime Video, I think they call it. But I do that by default because I'm a Prime customer. Nevertheless, they have a lot of great shows, so we watch those. I subscribe to BT Sport, which is not available on TV, so you can't get it on a set-top box unless you get BT set-top box, which kind of plugs into the internet anyway. So that comes through on my iPad, which I then stream Hmm. using AirPlay to the TV. And uh, that's kind of like an ESPN Plus-like price point. But they provide a whole bunch of football matches. Sorry, we call it football here. I will never be able to say soccer. I apologize. But (laughs) that's, that's a step too far for me. So here they they show some of the Premier League matches and they also show the Champions League matches on BT Sport. So given my team's Liverpool and they feature quite a lot, that's a worthwhile spend. Because the alternative, which I also subscribe to on a match-by-match basis and sometimes longer depending on how the economics work out, is Now TV. And Now TV is available on uh, Apple TV and it's also available on PlayStation 4 as an app. And uh, that offers the Sky services, but in a pay-per-view format. But you can buy passes, season passes for it as well. And that, again, is for watching Liverpool matches. So quite a few things. It's a pain having to juggle everything. Every single one requires something slightly different. Um, One of the... One of the moments of pure technical joy for me recently was getting the Prime Video app appear on Apple TV because it meant one less remote to juggle. And I'm sure cries of elation went up around the world on that day. Um, but BT is still a little bit awkward. Um, now is okay. Now TV is available on, on PS4 and on uh, Apple TV, and I'm pretty sure it's available in other boxes as well. I just like all of these services to be on the same box, and... 
I like what Apple are trying to do with their TV app and trying to combine them. Of course, Netflix isn't playing ball, so you'll search for something you won't necessarily find it. Um, but it's okay. It's getting a bit better. It's still very messy, I find, and too many subscriptions, much like my iOS device life, you know, where I've lost track of the number of subscriptions to great software I have now. Hmm. A lot of subscriptions out there. Megan, what are you subscribing to? Uh, I subscribe to much many of the similar. Uh, I I subscribe to Netflix, of course. I subscribe to HBO Now and Hulu and Amazon, of course. And then for sports, I have a very special subscription, which is to go over to my parents' house, who uh, live about five <laughs> minutes away, and then watch that. Uh, I'm not into that money uh, sports. My husband is. My daughter plays. She plays football which we call soccer here. Ah. <laughs> and so uh, I do enjoy watching women's football, which I guess I could just say women's football and everyone would know what I was talking about. Um, I enjoy watching that. And uh, part of my parents' subscription is occasionally, please don't tell anyone, if there's an emergency thing I need to watch on Showtime, I will log in on my dad's account. Mm-hmm. But only in emergencies. Sure. And nobody's listening to this, right? No, no, no. It's just between <laughs> okay. us people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that happens a lot. That happens a lot. Stephen, what are you subscribing to? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a member of Planet Netflix. Yep. I've been a citizen there for a long time. Hold on, hold on. Uh, it's transiting am- in front of its star right now. And <laughs> there it is. All right. Yeah. Amazon Prime as well. Prime primarily for all the other stuff, but there is a lot of good video content there. Uh, we also subscribe to YouTube Red, which I don't think people think about in this conversation, but it gives you a lot of stuff, ad-free YouTube, YouTube Red-only content, their music streaming stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've paid for that for a while now. Um, and then I also have – so I've ne- I'm a cord never never have had cable, uh, but I, like lots of other people, have a friend's U-verse login to <laughs> to log into HBO and all this other stuff for someone who pays for U-verse and lets me pretend to be them. So if you're AT&T, please uh, stick your fingers in your ears for that little bit. Don't come after me. <laughs> Retroactively. Um, and we, we've talked about Hulu. I think we'll probably add that at some point, but uh, we haven't made that jump yet. I have everything. So that's easy. I can just say I have everything um, <laughs> because I uh, because I wanted and because I do a podcast with a TV critic and I need to watch things that are on all these services. There are lots of reasons. Don't judge me, but I, I do have I have everything. Um, but this brings me to my next question, which is what, at what point? Do you get so weary? Like, uh, let me give you an example. Apple is going to do a video streaming service and they're going to have some shows. And let's say that one of those shows gets a lot of buzz that Apple's hoping all of them get a lot of buzz. There is that moment where you have to think, okay, do I want to watch the show? I mean, Star Trek fans dealt with this um, outside the U.S. It was on Netflix. It wasn't a problem. In the U.S., it was on this new CBS streaming service. It's the same thing. It's like, do I want to sign up for another streaming service just to watch the show that people are talking about? And so I wanted to ask you all, when when do you feel are you feeling subscription fatigue now are you at the point where if you add something new you're going to subtract something are you okay adding subscription services where are you on on like where where i'm trying to find where peak subscription service is megan where where are you on this i think if i added something i'd have to subscribe to to subtract something i think i got to peak before they announced youtube red because that was just like Ah. i just couldn't do it um and so i i i I did, didn't seem worth it really to me, but I think like I know how much it costs a month for these four 
uh, services. And that's pretty much enough for me. And occasionally there's not something that I can get, you know, occasionally you have to wait until it comes somewhere. And that's, that's fine too. Shahid, where are you on uh, subscription fatigue? Well, I felt my greatest shame and uh, sin after going from just Netflix to having Netflix plus BT Sport because two subscriptions, you know, I've doubled my subscriptions, maybe not my spend quite, but close to doubling my spend on subscription services, something I swore I'd never do because we don't actually watch any terrestrial TV at all. Everything we watch is streamed. So mm. that that's when I felt my most shame. And then there was kind of like a... Uh, the curve of shame dropped off a bit and it got to the point where I was on, well, Amazon video regularly. I was buying stuff on iTunes store. I was buying stuff on Amazon uh, to stream digitally as well because there was stuff on Amazon that they don't have on uh, the iTunes store. Uh, and then there was the odd Now TV subscription. And at that point, I'd lost all my shame. And I think I've got to the point now where I, I probably wouldn't even notice if a company was taking money out of my wallet for a streaming service uh, until my wife confronted me about the overdraft. Uh, I think at that point there would be issues. I'm, I'm at a similar point, as I say, with my iOS services. The thing is that the costs aren't prohibitive over here. The costs are only pro prohibitive if you buy a complete cable-like package. Like if you buy a Sky package, then you're talking 35, 40, 45 pounds a month, depending on the options that you choose. We never got to that level. It's always this little chipping away, little chipping away. You know, like, like the iOS stuff. It's like, oh, that's 179 a month. I don't even notice that. That's like a third of a coffee. What am I even thinking about? Just do it. You know, you, you press it without thinking about it. So I'm at, I think I'm at that kind of level. The bigger problem for me at my age is I just don't have the time to watch it all. Yeah. And I, I feel guilty about that. I feel guilty that I have these services that have great content. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I think they're bad. They have some astonishingly good content. And when I do watch it, I think, my God, I'm getting a lot out of that. Watching Lost in Space on Netflix at the moment and absolutely loving it, you know. Um, I, I must confess, a couple of tears popped into my eyes when the original theme tune came in <laughs> at the end of the first episode. I, I couldn't take it because I watched it when I was a kid. Anyway, so so there you go. I, I don't think it's too much of a problem right now. I never went for that big, huge, bulky service. So I'm I'm still kind of okay. It's a bit lame, right? You made a great point earlier too, which is the that sometimes it's the cost and sometimes it's the frustration that they are not all amalgamated. Although I know that there are companies that are like Amazon is trying to bundle other services inside its service so that you use their app in order to get it, which they call Amazon channels, I want to say. And that that's an attempt to do this because it's not just that you're paying for five different things, but you you if you have to get them in five different places, it's also just kind of a mess. Well, the Apple, the Apple streaming service is interesting because I probably pay Apple about $25 a month just for, you know, I have the $14 $14.99 Apple Music plus I think with iCloud it's probably at least $10 a month I'm not even sure like whenever my kids complain about not having enough iCloud storage I just say just do the 99 cents so I don't have any like I don't have any idea how much I'm paying but it would be nice if they offered if they bundled it in some way that it wasn't just another $15 on top of what I'm already paying to get their TV service yeah well the, here's the good news uh, there are more streaming services coming this is going to keep happening uh um, this is going to be, I think, the story of the next few years is people who are cord cutting, but are replacing with streaming. 
and how that works out in terms of the finances and people, uh, you know, everybody wants to be there when the music stops. And so everybody's launching a streaming service and not all of them are going to make it because there are going to be too many and people are going to get frustrated that there are so many different uh, different offerings that are asking for their money. Um, I think it's all going to work out. And I think the it, when the world we get to on the other side will be great because it'll be like lots of good stuff and it'll be on demand and you'll pay for what you want. But uh, it's going to be ugly in the meantime. So... Just wait. More people are going to ask for more money out of your wallet and probably a separate app in which to play it, which is hopefully we'll get through that one, too. It's really annoying. All right. A um, couple things before we go. The fuzzy puppy update. This is a fuzzy puppy update update, maybe. Or is it a story you might have missed update? I don't know. Anyway, I think it was a, I think it was a story you may have so missed. So we yeah. converted it. So the, the resolution of the story you may have missed is a fuzzy puppy update. That's how it works. It's great. It's the circle of life. Um, we recently spoke about the scooter rental companies whose fleets of scooters were cluttering up every sidewalk and doorway in San Francisco. Guess what? The city of San Francisco finally heard everybody complaining that they were tripping over scooters on the sidewalks and sent cease and desist letters to the companies. They have been ordered to issue a formal response by April 30th and to address the unlawful business practices. I saw a picture on Twitter yesterday of police impounding a band abandoned electric scooters so there you go local government at work at least the city of san francisco is uh is is i don't know taking it to the the scooter people and the scooter people (laughs) think that they're changing the world by the way that's the other side of this which is just amazing and completely delusional i think but anyway the uh there's there's your update the scooters there's backlash now the scooter backlash we'll watch it um here's what to look out for in the week ahead though next week this podcast turns one it's true we will have been doing it for a year we'll have our first guest back next week uh to talk in episode 52 because 52 weeks that's how it works but that brings us to the end of this edition of download closing out year one Megan Maroney, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, Twit.tv mostly, and also MeganMaroney.com. Excellent. And Shahid, where can people find your stuff? At Shahid Kamal. That will point uh, to my website, and that will connect you with everything else. All right. At Shahid Kamal on Twitter. Follow Shahid. He has many interesting things to say, I will say. And you might get to see a picture of the Shahid. If you're very lucky. Stephen Hackett, thank you for putting the show together, especially as my internet continued to go down and up and down. You bet. I'm going to go get started on the cake for next week. But it's going to be in Memphis, and so you're the only one who's going to... Oh, I see what's happening. Yeah, that's... mm -hmm. Well, save me some. Weird. And thank to everybody out there for listening to Download. We will be back next week to celebrate a year. Until then, we'll watch the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.